5 and verse 38 through 42. I, I believe um, that I've come up with an answer that will help us understand what is being said here. Uh, this is uh, a very misunderstood passage of Scripture. Uh, we have everything from people saying that uh, you ought not resist evil. If somebody comes up and says, I want to uh, ravage your wife and kill your kids, you're supposed to stand there and say, please do so. Uh, that's not what Jesus is teaching. Uh, on the other hand, people have taken this passage and they just simply say, well, um, we really don't know what it all means, but it can't mean this, and so we'll just kind of uh, ignore it. It was like the one preacher many years ago. He was not an educated man at all. And uh, they said, now, brother, what do you do when you come to one of those big words in the Bible? There's lots of them. He says, oh, that's real easy. He says, I just read right up to that big word, and then I preach a little bit. And when I start reading again, I just pick up on the other side. And uh, uh, that's what a lot of commentaries do. They just come up to a hard passage and they just get to the other side and just keep coming. And, and so uh, what I'm going to give you tonight, I, I have not found in any commentary or in anything that was written. Uh, but I'll, I'll give you just a little bit of where I've gone and, and how this came about. Because I, I think once you see it tonight and we go through it, you'll say, boy, that's simple. That makes sense. And uh, uh, you look at the words, and then you go through the Scripture, and you try to find out where these things were spoken of in the Bible. Now, Jesus is giving us three examples here. The smiting on the cheek, the suing at wall, and the compelling to go a mile. Now, that last one may be a little strange to us, but the law of the land, the law of the empire was, and it had been established by the Greeks and the Persians even before them, uh, as they were moving their armies through a land, through a territory that they had conquered, if your soldiers show up at the battlefield exhausted from carrying their weapons and their, stash and their load and all of this, what happens when you fight the battle? You lose. And so it had been developed that when an army was moving through or a government moving through goods, they could compel the people of the land to do the work for them. And in the Roman world, which Jesus was living at this time, they could compel you to carry a burden up to a mile. Now, does anybody know the most famous instance of this in the Scripture? The cross of Jesus. The Roman soldier said, you and you, grab this cross and carry it for Jesus. They were saying, listen, he's not going to get it up the hill, but we're going to crucify him, so you're going to carry it for him. And this is what is being spoken of here. Now, the suit at law is real simple. You go to law, you go to the court, 
Now, does anybody here watch Judge Judy? Is she still on television? And uh, what are some of the other ones? Um, there's three or four of those things. And, and uh, people just love those shows. And it's interesting how the cases always fold out. I just, my, my first question is, how weird do you have to be to go on television with your boyfriend who bit your finger and now he wants to sue you for his ring that he gave you. I, I, you know, boy, I mean, some of these things are bizarre, are they not? But here's the point. Even in the most bizarre, whacked out cases that they put in these courts, the judge has to find a legal precedent to decide the case, don't they? I mean, uh, I think Judge Judy got famous for saying, you have no right to be in this court. Take you and your suit and get out of here or something along those lines. Uh, if you went to court and they took your garment, saying that the court was just, you had to do something wrong to get there now, didn't you? Follow this thing of being slapped in the face in the Bible. Who, What comes to your mind first? When I have two examples in the outline here. Don't you think of Jesus Christ first? I mean, these were His words, were they not? And, and what I did was I just looked at the examples that were in here, and every time we see these things go on, we see that there was a legal grounds and legal right to be involved in this thing. And where I want you to go back, as we said, the Bible always explains the Bible. There's a context here. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 5 and verse... Oh, let's, uh, let's come down here to verse 23... Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, then come offer thy gift. In association with this, agree with thine adversary quickly. Whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to whom? The judge. And the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, Thou shalt by no means come out thence, till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. Now, under this thing, what we're, what we're dealing with here is the right to get even. Was there a right to retribution in the law of God? An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, cursing for cursing. All of these things were in the law. There, there was going to be justice. There was going to be a judgment that was given for a wrong that was done. Now, how many of us have lived a perfect life? My hand is not up. I'm just showing you what to do in case somebody here might believe that they've gotten there. Now, other than 
the littlest child in this room, no one would raise their hand. We are all at fault. In many cases, are we not? And as I was going through and preparing this, there was an absolutely horrible example that, Lord willing, I'll bring to you tonight of what Jesus was speaking of right here. But let's read through the passage in the light of what we've just said and see if this thing doesn't come around a little bit and make a little more sense than it may have in the past. Verse 38, Ye have heard that it hath been said, An eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if a man will sue thee at law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh of thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn Turn not thou away. Now, we're probably not going to get to verse 42 tonight. But what we're going to deal with is the three examples that are here. Jesus said, resist not evil. We went over this last week. That does not mean we're not to fight the devil. That does not mean that we're to help. Uh, We should get signs on the gay pride parade and march with the people saying, listen, they have their rights and and we're not to resist evil. No, that's not what it's talking about. John the Baptist, when he was teaching, the soldiers came to him said, what do we do? He said, be content with your wages and don't do violence to... He said, do violence to no man. That did not mean... When they were fighting in the war, you kept your sword in the sheath. That meant that when you were walking down the street, you didn't take advantage of your position and your power as a soldier to be cruel to people just because you didn't like the way they looked at you or whatever. I mean, how many times have we talked about people abusing their power? And we... Uh, look at Leviticus chapter 19. It says, Avenge not thyself. And yet, what was all of the Jewish culture about? We're going to get rid of Rome. We're going to get even with these people. One day we're going to rule the world and the Romans are going to be our slaves. In fact, one rabbi came up, took a passage out of the Old Testament uh, that said, um, Seven men out of every nation shall grab a hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew. And it says, Every Jew is going to have 490 slaves because they multiplied the number of nations by seven, and that's what they came up with. And, and that's not what Jesus was talking about. Their entire existence was about revenge getting even. It's like the joke that they tell. The man rubbed the bottle and the genie came out. He says, I give you three wishes. He says, but I'm going to give your enemy, the man you hate the most, double of everything you wish for. And he says, I want a million dollars. Here it is. But your enemy just got two million. He says, give me a long life. 
He says, you're going to live to 100, but your enemy's going to live to 200. Then he says, give me one blind eye. (laughs) Do you get it? That is not the spirit of a believer in Jesus Christ, now is it? And that's what Jesus is speaking about in these passages. It's not that we should just stand still and suffer injustice, That not that we should ever be a part of uh, a military army, not that we shouldn't uh, defend ourselves if we are cast upon. These were where you did something wrong or someone thought you did something wrong and they felt that you deserved this punishment. Now, as a child, how many times did you get punished unjustly? Many times. But Stephen, how many times did you not get punished for things you should have done? Many more times, right? Yes. Isn't that true of all of us, though? Hmm? And when we're put in that situation, are we to scream for our rights? Or are we to humble ourselves and let God deal with the situation? That's what Jesus is speaking about in this passage. Now, let's look at the example of Christ. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 20. First Peter chapter 20. I'm sorry. First Peter chapter 2, verse 20. For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults ye you take it patiently, but if when ye do well and suffer for it ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripe Stripes, ye were healed. Now, in John chapter 18, Jesus is standing before the high priest. This was the night he was betrayed. He had already been arrested in the garden. And, of course, he went willingly with these men. We know that because he just spoke one word and they all fell down before they arrested him. Now, you would think if these men that sent out to arrest Jesus had a bit of sense at all and he just said, I am he, and they fell down on the ground, I think I'd have headed the other direction. How about you? Uh, I don't think I'd have followed through with that. But they did. And they brought him in. And as Jesus was standing there, the high priest said, What are you saying? What did you teach? And Jesus simply... Let's go to John chapter 18 get the whole story here. Let me not just tell the story. Let's read it. 
John chapter 18, verse 19. The high priest then asked Jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spake openly to the world. I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple, whither the Jews always resort, and in secret have I said nothing. Why askest thou me? Ask them which heard me what I have said unto them. Behold, they know what I said. And we go through here, and we're going to pick this up in just a minute where we left off. What had they been doing all night to Jesus? They had been bringing in false witnesses, and none of them could agree. And they were saying this, and they were saying that. Finally, they brought in these last two that said he's going to destroy the temple. And this was such a preposterous claim that they made that they couldn't even, uh, they certainly couldn't convict him on this. And, and so finally the high priest says, you're going to have to incriminate yourself here. And Jesus said, listen, I've said everything openly. You've had all these witnesses come in. Why can't they answer your question? And look what happened. And when he had thus spoken, verse 22, one of the officers which stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Answerest thou the high priest so? Now look at Jesus' answer. Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why smitest thou me? Did Jesus turn the other cheek here? Did he? He looked the man that slapped him in the face, straight in the face, and said, Listen, if I've said something wrong, you say it out clearly before everyone here. And if you can't convict me of any evil that I have spoken, which of course was impossible, he said, Why are you hitting me? Now, did Jesus contradict himself? That's impossible, is it not? In just a few moments, not only this officer, but the priest and some of the members of the Sanhedrin were going to come out of their seats and in their robes, and they were going to buffet him and pull the beard out of his face and beat him until he was hardly recognizable as a man. So inflamed were their passions against this person called Jesus. What Jesus is doing right here is he is condemning the wrong behavior of this man who took it upon himself to smite him wrongly against the law. In a few moments, when they passed judgment upon him and unleashed the mob, Jesus didn't say a word. Now, I'm not trying to split hairs here, but do you see the difference between the two? Jesus was not just standing there. He was showing them what they were doing was wrong. Amen? But when they unleashed and came against him and beat him and abused him, he answered them not again, did he? First Peter chapter 2, the verses we just read. What Jesus is talking about here, when he says, if someone's going to smite you, 
on the right cheek turn to him the other also. This is because, rightly or wrongly so. And we gave this example again. How many of you have been slapped in the face by somebody? I think Pam told me the story. Some beggar asked her for some money one time and she didn't give it to him and he hit her in the head with a cup. Uh, and, and again, that is showing an example of someone who wrongly judges. They have, they have been abused or misused by you and they have the right or they feel that they have the right to strike out at you physically. Now, when we've done something wrong, and Jesus, according to their law and their judgment, they said, You're the, you've claimed to be the Son of God, therefore we're going to judge you for blasphemy because we don't believe you're the Son of God. Once that judgment was made, Jesus didn't answer again, did he? But when one individual took it upon himself, all by himself, this officer just to slap Jesus in the face and say, you can't talk to the high priest that way. Jesus questioned him and said, why are you doing this? You have no right to do that. Now that's, like I said, it's a little bit of a hair split here, but it is, it is the difference between an individual taking authority upon themselves to try to hurt you and a judgment that has been passed by a lawful abiding citizen. Why did the Christians willfully go into the Colosseum and sacrifice their lives? They were given one option, deny Christ or die. Was that right of the Roman government to give that option? We would say that's morally corrupt, that's morally wrong. But the government gave the choice, and what did the Christians choose? The Christians did not go into the circus cursing Caesar and Rome. When Paul, we're going to get to Paul's example here in just a moment. When Paul and Barnabas were beaten without mercy and thrown into the prison, what did they do at midnight? The other prisoners heard their cursing of the Roman guards, didn't they? No. They heard him singing praises to God, didn't they? This is what Jesus is speaking about. If some person just decides to come up and because they're having a bad day, now be careful in New York City. If somebody asks for your money, give it to them. Amen? Uh, your money's not worth losing your life over. But if someone's going to come up and try to injure your family just because they've had a bad day, uh, they may get it done, but I'm going to die trying to keep them from doing it. Amen? This is not the issue that Jesus is talking about. But if they pass a law, and we don't know. I mean, with everything that's changing in our country, it may be against the law to call sodomites sodomites. It is in Canada. If we were in the country of Canada and I were speaking from the pulpit and I just said the sodomites are against you, I could lose my position as a pastor and, and be 
fined and sued and all kinds of things according to the laws of Canada. You do not have freedom of speech in many countries of this world today. Uh, you cannot go to Saudi Arabia and describe the personal character traits of Muhammad clearly and openly and honestly. You will go to prison or worse for that. Now, Jesus saying here, listen, you're in a court and someone judges you. You trust God with that. Amen? You let God take care of that. You humble yourself. And if it can be made right, you make it right. You know, the Roman justice system was not unlike our modern-day justice system. He who had the most money won the case. Now, what are you going to do? If someone is judging against you, trying to get you thrown in prison unjustly, and yet they have everything stacked in their favor, you stand up and start spouting off and become bitter and, and saying all these lies. and all. What have you just done to yourself? You've condemned yourself, have you not? But if you will show the proper spirit and the biblical response to these things and humble yourself... It would have to be an awful, dishonest judge that is going to look at someone who is bitter and cursing you and hiring high... Do do you see where we're going with this thing? This is what Jesus is speaking about. Let's go to the next one. Well, let's go to Paul here. In Acts chapter 23, Paul was in the same situation. He was standing before Ananias, one of the men that had condemned Jesus... And Ananias, after Paul opens his mouth, says to one of the officers, slap that guy in the mouth. What does Paul say? Let's go to Acts chapter 23 and read it. This is not an abdication of your person and your rights. Verse 3, Then said Paul unto him, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall, for sittest thou to judge me after the law, and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law? I mean, Paul knew the law of God. He was a Pharisee. Now, he didn't, wasn't paying attention to whom he was sitting in judgment for. Because the person standing beside him said, Are you going to revile the high priest? And in verse 5, Paul says, Apologize, says, I wish not, brethren, that he was the high priest. For it is written, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. What did Paul just do here? He did not take back his condemnation of the high priest for commanding him to be hit against the law of God. But he said, I have no right to speak against this man in the way that I did. Jesus is not addressing the words as much as he is the spirit that is going on. And again, it's like everything else. Thou shalt not kill. No. Thou shalt not hate. And thou shalt forgive. No one's left out. 
Thou shalt not commit adultery. No. Thou shalt not lust. Thou shalt not forswear thyself. No. You're going to have enough character to say what you mean without having to add a bunch of stuff to it. Thou shalt not resist evil. You're not going to fight fire with fire. You're not going to go into the courtroom screaming, I have my rights. Give me a high-powered Jewish lawyer to get me out of this situation. Um, This is what we're looking at here. And Paul immediately apologized. How many times did Paul suffer wrongfully? Repeatedly. He was beaten. He was stoned. He was uh, judged of the Sanhedrin. says he was beaten with rods five times. Did Paul do all of these things screaming, I have my rights? Or I'm going to trust God to get me through this situation? How could he sing praises in the Philippian jail? Have you ever just been... Um, shall we say, spiritually defeated. I mean, you just messed up. Just took the whole day and destroyed it. You said, man, I need to do something about this. I need to cheer up. And you start trying to sing, I heard an old, old story. Trying to cheer. Has anybody ever done that? Try to cheer yourself up that way. doesn't work that way, does it? You got to get those other songs like Come every soul by sin oppressed and get find mercy with the Lord. Then you can sing the happy songs. Amen. You can't praise Jesus when you're depressed and when you're bitter and when you're not forgiving someone else. This is what Jesus is speaking about here. The next one is a suit at law. If a person wins a judgment against you, there has got to be some type of legal grounds for them to level this judgment against you. Isn't that correct? Now, not everything that goes on in a court is fair. But Jesus says, listen, if they sue thee and take away thy coat... And I'll tell you, every commentary I read, I, I don't know how many time, different ones I've read, every one of them that I read made a big deal about this. Well, the Greek word for coat is your main garment that was underneath your outer cloak. And, and it goes from your neck to your knees. And it was your, uh, um, sort of like your, uh, uh, it was just your main garment. And then you had a cloak or a outer robe that went from the top of your head to the sole of your feet. And the coat was the cheaper garment, the less expensive one, and pointing that this was a more trivial issue and all of these things. In Deuteronomy, it says that you're not to sleep with the pledge of the widow. You're not to sleep with the pledge of a poor person. He said, you're to give your coat also. You were to give your outer garment. And I say, why would you do that if they won the smaller one? Why would, they, why would you give up everything? Humbling yourself in the presence of the person who has taken you to court and judged you wrong. 
I'll tell you a story of two young men who thought they were doing right. A mother had come to them. They were pastors in a church, assistant pastors. Said, I can't control my son. And they said, well, we'll control your son. We'll, we'll take him out and give him a good spanking. And she said, oh, please do. Well, she was not living with her husband. And when he found out that two preachers had given his son what would have been a very minor episode of corporal punishment, hired him a filthy lion lawyer and took those guys to court and said they beat him with a tree branch and every lie you could, hired a doctor to prove that he had bruises and internal injuries which didn't exist. And one of them got 13 years in prison and the other one got 23 years in prison. And here's why. Because when they went before the judge, they told him, we were doing what was right. You're wrong for judging us. Now what in the world is a judge supposed to do? These men were accused of child abuse. What was the judge supposed to do when the two men said, yes, we did it and we'll do it again? You lock them up as long as you can, don't you? If you break your spirit and humble yourself in the sight of the judge, I wonder what would have been different if they'd have done that. That's what Jesus is speaking about here. Hey, I had to have done something wrong to get here. I remember one time, another example, we had, and I'm sorry, they're all negative, but those are the only ones that are coming to my mind and my heart as I'm preparing this. We, we had an inspector come out to Cleveland Baptist Church one time to look at the church buses. And it was absolutely unbelievable what this man had done. He was going to flunk every bus we had. He even went so far... He saw a little mark of rust on one of the wheel wells, and he stood there for five minutes. I didn't see this, but the other mechanic that was taken over from me did, and kicked that wheel well about a dozen times until he broke the rust open and kicked a hole in that panel. It took him minutes to get that done, but he just stood there as if he were in a frenzy trying to, to do that, and at that point... The mechanic went and got Pastor Thompson. The preacher came and said, What in the world do you think you're doing? No one's given you the right to come here and destroy our buses. And uh, so uh, things got rather heated rather quickly, and he left. We took the buses down to another inspection station, and every bus passed first time through. In fact, the state policemen that did the inspecting and we had to drive the buses a half hour each way to get over to the east side of Cleveland to get them inspected he said I've never seen a fleet of church buses in this good a shape let me tell you what happened before years before 
and I'm sure Pastor Thompson doesn't know this part of the story, we had a bus mechanic that was absolutely cruel and hateful to this same inspector. And when he came back years later, he's going to get even. You humble yourself. And you will not. Look, what did Jesus say? He said, agree with thine adversary quickly. Don't you put your faith and trust in the judicial system to get you out of a situation because you think you're right. It doesn't always work that way, does it? They were dealing with the Roman legal system. That's why the last one is in here. If a Roman soldier came up and said, carry my bag for uh, a mile. Now, let me tell you, those Roman soldiers didn't carry one of those little gym bags. Everything they lived on was wrapped up usually in their cloak. Sometimes they were carrying 100, 150 pounds of equipment. How many of you do? How many of you guys would like to carry a 150-pound bag a mile long? You're going to have to get two of me to do that. I'm going to I'm going to fall out before I get that far. This was not a menial... T- I mean, this could mess up your day. And by the way, when you got the whole mile down there carrying that 150-pound sack, guess what you had to do to get home? You had to walk the whole way home. And there wasn't McDonald's and Hardee's and uh, Starbucks and wh- whatever other things that we need. Dunkin' Donuts. I mean, how can you go anywhere without a Dunkin' Donuts or a Timmy Horton? Uh, I'm looking forward to going to Quebec. I'm going to get me some Timmy Horton coffee. Uh, But I'll tell you, that would mess up your day, would it not? And yet, if you allow bitterness and hatred in your soul, what were you doing? You were isolating yourself from the love of God, number one. You are isolating that soldier from the message that you have, number two. And you were bringing animosity of of the Roman legions against you personally. I mean, guess what? If they were going through your town to go somewhere, chances are they were coming back through. How would you like to get one of those Roman soldiers mad at you? He just might get a few of his buddies and come over and mess your house up on the way back through. Said so we're going to we're going to stop this insurrection before it starts. I mean, these were the kind of things that were going on in Jesus' day. Jesus said, "Listen, you go two miles. What's that going to do? Well, you don't have to do that. Well, no, I don't have to, but I'm willing." Well, you're going you're gonna to lose all this time. I can find. If you want to find someone else, that's fine. But if you want me to go too, I'll go too. I'll do double what the law requires. Let's say a couple months later, walking through, you get yourself into trouble. One of the soldiers comes up and says, Oh, I remember this guy. He, hey, wait a minute. 
Whatever he did was by an accident. He was the one that was willing to go two miles instead of just one, and he never got angry or cursed at me or anything. Let that guy go. wonder how many times that happened. Now, the Bible doesn't give us any uh, encouragement that it did, but is that so far-fetched to imagine? You were dealing with the injustice of Rome. Now, we better get used to dealing with injustice because there's going to be some. Things, things are changing. But when we deal with injustice as believers in Jesus Christ, as people who are seeking the righteousness that qualifies us to enter the kingdom of heaven, should we be screaming, I have my rights? Or should we be looking to mitigate the situation? To mollify this thing? To take away as much anxiety and angst out of the situation as we possibly can? To humble ourselves and to trust God with the injustice rather than cursing an unjust court that is full of unsaved people that couldn't be just if they had to be. This is what Jesus is speaking about. He's saying, listen, as, as you are going to be faced with injustice in this life, if you have the opportunity, yes, you're not doing anything wrong. You're not violating Scripture by standing up and questioning when someone does something absolutely wrong. But, when the judgment has been made, when things are settled right, wrong, indifferent, we're not to go through life screaming about, if I'd only been treated fairly. I mean, even Bill Gates is smart enough to understand. Rule of life number one for Bill Gates. What's that? Life isn't fair. That's his number. I mean, Bill Gates is smart enough to figure that out. There ought to be a lot of rest of us smart enough to figure that out. Amen? Am I going to make things fair by going down to court and fighting over it? Don't think so. But, if I look to the judge that judges the living and the dead, and none of us are incapable of doing something wrong, are we? What we need to do is, if we've done something wrong, admit it. And make it as right as possible. As quickly as possible. And humble ourselves in the sight of that person whom we've wronged and make things right. Amen? This is the spirit of a true Christian. It's not letting Al Capone come into your house and kill your kids in front of you. It is. When we are brought before the justice of the land, it is dealing with that with a humble and a contrite spirit. Does that make sense? It's okay to join the U.S. military 
And if you go over and you're in a combat zone, my prayer is you pull the trigger first. I pray that for our soldiers. I don't want the enemy to pull the trigger first. You say, but, but, but that's, that's killing someone. Yes, if you're put in a situation where it's either you or them, my prayer is it's them. Someone said, what do you do? This was famous from World War II. What do you do with an enemy who's willing to die for their cause? Anybody remember? You let them. But you stay alive to fight yours, was how the general finished the statement. That is not contradicting the Sermon on the Mount. But when we face injustice here in... Can I bring up one word? I think it will illustrate real perfectly. One name. Al Sharpton. No justice! No peace! Everybody remember that? That's what Jesus is preaching against here. Is that kind of rabble-rousing, hatred, vindictive way of looking at things. That's what Jesus is speaking about. That ought not be named among those who are seeking the level of righteousness that will allow them to enter into the kingdom of God. Did that make sense tonight? Are we there? Anybody really confused? Okay. Now we'll pick up verse 42 next week and try to get through the end of the chapter. But... They're, they're, Jesus is dealing with legal situations where another person either wrongly or rightfully believes that they have the right of law to inflict either a punishment or judgment against you. You'll get a whole lot farther exhibiting the spirit of Jesus Christ than you will exhibiting the spirit of Al Sharpton. Amen? I, th- I think that brought it pretty close, pretty clear. There's a choice. And uh, I don't think we have to argue about that choice, do we? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. And Lord, we just ask that you would help us to look at, at these things the way that you would have us to learn the lessons that are here. And Lord, we, we are tempted to do wrong. We're tempted to stand up. We're tempted to stand our ground and do our rights. Yet, Lord, that's not the way we should behave ourselves. And, Lord, we just ask that you would help us, that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to bring to our hearts and minds that we would not aggravate situations, but we would diffuse them. We ask for your grace to be obedient to your word. And Lord, if there is someone or something that you bring to our heart and mind that we need to get settled, that you would give us the grace and the wisdom to know how to settle that in a way that would bring glory to your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. We'll take just a moment. If you need to come, 